Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. this book. Let's go there again. Chapter 1. I'm going to read one verse. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 27. And pray that the Lord will help us tonight to mine once again some wonderful truths from his word. Doesn't matter how well worn the path. Amen. What really matters is the fresh anointing that God can and will place upon us here this evening in this house. Colossians 1 and 27. Paul said, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And with the help of the Lord tonight, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the hope of glory. Amen. To know where our strength really comes from. To know where it really abides. I know it is... uh, Often said in moments of tragedy and crisis, uh, we may remind ourselves and say something similar to, I wonder what people that don't know the Lord do in the time of a crisis. Or, and I understand what we mean by that and certainly uh, share those sentiments. I'm thankful tonight to know where my hope, my real hope is. Not hope as in crossing our fingers, wishing it all comes out in the end. I want to talk about where our real hope is. I love you today, Lord. Thank you for the goodness of your spirit that is here tonight. Thank you for the evidence of your presence in this holy house. I thank you, God, for the privilege that you've given us to come together again. Thank you for the family of God. Lord, I thank you for the kingdom of God that has flesh, and that is your church upon this earth. And I thank you for that tonight. And I ask you to touch this word to our heart. Let us be strengthened in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If I could possibly deduce Christianity down to one single word, it would be relationship. Amen. The difference between tonight, what we are doing, and what many, many other people around the world are doing, is the fact that we are in a living relationship, a real relationship with a living God. Most Religions have some measure of degree of similarity, even though they may use different systems or perhaps and obviously have different philosophies. The similarity of most religions is that it is based on works. Generally, that is some form of self-effort that is used to accommodate something that would help us to be closer to God or something that would help us to be more um, to be more religious or more saved, whether it's self-denial on one hand or perhaps in the category of others, it may be just good works. And tragically, sadly, some 
can can view Christianity in in this very same way. Uh, I think that is based in large part upon the lack of understandings of a foundation of true biblical Christianity. I don't think that we're doing what we're doing tonight, whatever we may uh, teach and preach as a doctrine. We're not doing that to be saved, but we're doing that because we are saved. Amen. We're not doing it to attain something, to attain something. We're doing it because we have already attained something. Amen. The Spirit of God, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, His holy and divine presence in our lives uh, just creates in us uh, some lines and some limits. And uh, I believe that I'm speaking to people tonight, probably unequivocally, that Every one of us have had the Spirit of the Lord draw a line in our life. And it was not something that somebody sat down and told us, do this or don't do that. But the Spirit of God has prompted and said yes, or the Spirit of God has prompted and said no. And that is because we have a living relationship with the Lord. Amen. I, I don't want, uh, I, I want to say again, I think that when people view Christianity as something that can be done based on some measure of self-denial or some measure of, of good works is due in part because of a lack of understanding of what true biblical Christianity is all about. I believe that as Christians we need to understand that Jesus Christ being born in a manger, coming to this earth, walking among mankind, dying on a cross and being raised again, Amen. I think that we have to understand that in that, that was more than just the mere march of a man across an earthly path of 33 and a half years. But Jesus Christ coming to this earth initiated a new covenant. And within this covenant, it is within the context of this new covenant that you and I are to function today. From the day of Pentecost until this very moment, we function under a new covenant. It's because of this new covenant that you and I can walk with God. It's, it's because of this new covenant that we can live for God. The new covenant that Jesus Christ introduced changed everything. When Jesus came, that's why when you read the book of Acts, and well, just even before that, but when you read even in the Gospels about uh, how much the ministry of Jesus uh, upset the protocol and upset the status quo of the day. And when you read in the book of Acts of how uh, they were taught to preach no more. I was reading that this morning, that you would just teach no more in this name. And, uh, and one spoke up and said, how can we help but preach in that name? I mean, <laughs> you, you don't get it. This is, no, this is not a fad. This is not a trend. This is not just something that we're doing because we're just on the bandwagon of something. But we can't help but to speak in that name. They warned them further, just don't speak of that name because, frankly, they didn't know what to do. They had no idea of what to do. And so when we think about this new covenant that Jesus initiated, amen, it changed everything. It turned the religious world upside down. The Bible that we have is divided into two major parts. One is called the Old Testament, the other the New Testament. Another word for testament would be the word covenant. And so we could say, and be biblically and scripturally, theologically correct, that there is a new covenant, an old covenant, and a new covenant. And so we call ourselves New Testament Christians. 
part of the New Testament church. Amen. In fact, there's only one kind of Christian, and that is a New Testament Christian because the New Covenant, without the New Covenant, we wouldn't be Christians at all because the word Christian means to be Christ-like. And so you have to have Christ in order to be Christ-like. And so we're part of the New Testament, New Covenant church. I want to talk about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant for just a moment. And I'm just going to ask you, if you will, to don't, uh, I'm going to ask you to trust in over 30 years of me being here as your pastor and teaching behind this very desk. I want you to trust in what I've always taught and always believed. And so don't disconnect on a little bit of a journey we're going to make because some of you may draw. If you get up and leave 12 minutes from now, you're going to think that I am dismantling everything I've ever taught. Amen. So let's pray that the recorder don't go off. So the message of the old covenant was this. Live by the law. That was the message. Now, to be clear, there is nothing wrong with the law because God gave the law. The law, I think, reflects the heart of God. And the law reflects the holiness of God. But then God gave, and God gave the law, and he required of the people to obey the law. Now, for anybody that's ever read through the Bible, certainly if you've ever read through the Old Testament, the first portions especially of the Old Testament, you understand about the law. When you read some of that law, it's pretty tough. Amen. And, uh, and so they were to walk in them, the law, they were to teach that law to their children and to others. That was to be passed from generation to generation. And if we could put that message perhaps in more modern language, we could just say this, that the law would tell you that if you fail or if you fall, you just kind of pick yourself up and you try harder tomorrow. You try harder next time. Anybody ever told you you needed more faith? <laughs> so the idea is reflected today that in, in probably one of the most well-known sayings uh, around, around Christendom or around the church at least, have you ever heard people quote this and say, God helps those who help themselves? Anybody ever heard that? I think you're afraid to respond because you think I'm baiting you for something. I'm, I'm not. But there's a very popular saying that says, well, God helps those that help themselves. And I've heard a lot of people quote that saying. George Barna is the founder of something called the Barna Group, and this is a market research firm that specializes in studying religious beliefs and behaviors in Americans. And so according to George Barna's polling data, they show that a, a vast majority of people that quote this, God helps those that helps themselves, believe that this is a verse in the Bible. <laughs> well, let me clear that up. That is not a verse in the Bible. It is not from Genesis to Revelation. You won't even find that in the maps. It's not there. It's not a scripture. Amen. It is uniquely an American idea, a cultural idea. It is not a biblical idea. And so I want to just boldly declare that God helps everybody. And I will put a comma there and tell you that God especially helps those who can't help themselves. Amen. God comes along and some of us sitting in this building were at a point when we couldn't help ourselves, and God came along beside us 
Thank God we weren't buying into the theory that God helps those that helps themselves. Cut and dried, period, end of story. The idea that God only helps the hardworking, the idea that God only works those that uh, are deserving is a concept based on the idea of keeping the law. Now, sadly, many churches and even some Christians continue to live by that philosophy And even though they've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, their focus is on just rules and regulations and behaviors and appearances. And this is why I was saying what I was saying a while ago. Because I don't want you to think that I'm dismantling anything that I've always taught. I don't want you to take that wrong because I believe that I am certainly not opposed to rules and behaviors and appearances because I believe it. I teach it. I preach it, and I live it every day of my life. Amen. I won't be ashamed for you to find me anywhere. I won't be ashamed to run up on you in Baltimore, Maryland, or in Portland, Oregon, because I believe what I teach from behind this pulpit. Amen. And so I I believe it, and I, I live it, and I believe it because it is mandated by the Word of God. But if we're not careful, what we can simply do is develop a more Christianized version of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. And then when we find somebody that don't measure up to what we think they ought to be, because people create their own list of do's and don'ts. Amen. And so when people don't live up to to our idea or our expectation, then we can condemn them and, and separate them and compartmentalize them and uh, when they simply do not meet our expectations, and sometimes people that are condemning are guilty of things equally as bad. Because sin is sin. So somebody throwing down a bottle of Seagram 7 is no different than somebody sitting on the phone gossiping about the person drinking the Seagram 7. You follow me? So I'm not, we're not going to throw the baby out with the wash water. I promise you that. But what I'm trying to say is, is that if we're not careful, we can just kind of Christianize a version of the Old Testament and say this is how we're going to do it. And uh, the result, the end result of that is that it puts people in bondage. It doesn't just put that one person you're talking about in bondage, but it puts you in bondage. It puts me in bondage. The Bible, Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and 6, He said, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And then Paul says something very imperative. He said, the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Some people use the Bible and the Word of God like a hammer to beat someone nearly to death. In the Scripture, the the Word of God even likens itself to a sword. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and the marrow. Therefore, I have cautioned many times people publicly and privately. I have cautioned people that when you need to be very careful when you're dealing with people and the word of God. Be very careful in a Bible study. Be very cautious. Understand what you have in your hand. The Bible talks about a brother being offended harder to win than walled cities. And so we can just come marching in there with our Bible under our arm 
saying, bless God, we've got the truth, and just smack somebody upside of the head, and we can do far more damage than you can, you can do more damage in three minutes than someone correct can correct in many, many years. So we have to be very, very careful when we're dealing with people and when we're dealing with the Word of God. Multiple times around the world today, a knife was used to take a life or to save a life in the hand of a surgeon. Somebody was skillfully using that sharp instrument to save someone's life. In like fashion, an instrument like that or similar was also used to take a life. The hand of a surgeon, the hand of a killer. Amen. And the end result was all based on the motive at the outset of that. And so we have to be very careful not to take a life when we're teaching the Word of God because the Word of God is a sharp and a piercing thing. Amen. You can beat people over the head, but you're not going to gain much ground because it just doesn't work. As a matter of fact, I do believe that, that you can pressure people into conformity but it's just a short-term run because the most important thing is that person has to change on the inside. There has to be a change here. You could pressure someone to conformity. I have watched it over the years again and again and again. People are pressured by various means and all kind of different vehicles, and I could give a half dozen illustrations right now. I won't, but I could. Of people that are pressured through con to con to some measure of conformity, but because they were just trying to measure up for the wrong reason, it turns out to be a short run, a short-term thing, because it doesn't change a person from the inside. I've told the little story. Hopefully it's not true. But uh, the mother that was trying to make her little boy sit down in church, and he finally sat down and looked at her and said, I'm sitting down on the inside, but I'm outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I don't know if that's true or not, but you get the gist of that. I know how Betty Jean would have handled that. <laughs> when she was finished, she would have made sure we was sitting down on both ends of all of that, inside and outside. And so we can, that's what I'm talking about, pressuring somebody to some measure of conformity. They can be seated on the outside, but still standing on the inside. We must have a change of heart. That is where the most critical change has got to take place. We've got to have a change of heart. And some people are very judgmental and very legalistic. And because... And I believe because they haven't really come to understand the new covenant. Now, I, I want to be very clear that there's nothing wrong with the law because the law in and of itself is righteous and the law is holy. And I'll just say this as a blanket statement, but I mean it, that if we could live up to the law in its, if we could live up to the law perfectly, then we would be righteous and perfect ourselves. If we had the ability to live up to the law perfectly. But we don't. The purpose of the law, in large part, was to show us that we cannot do it in our flesh. And I want to try to walk through that scripturally. Galatians 3 and 24 says that the law was a schoolmaster or a school teacher. The law was just to teach us something. And that teaching us something was to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Because we can't, you can't just live for God because you're just going to be determined to live for God. 
Somewhere along the way, because this is a spiritual battle. And so somewhere along the way, we're going to get tripped up because you can't do spiritual things in your flesh alone. And so the law was given to us to show us that we could not, with our best effort on our best day, keep the law in its entirety. So that's why the old covenant was given. It was given because we didn't understand that there was something wrong with us. And so the law was given to say you can't go here and you can't do this and you can't touch that because before that no one knew that was wrong. And so if you have tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed, in truth that's not a bad thing because those experiences should bring us to a place where we say, you know what, I cannot do this by myself. And so failure should not be a thing that we look at only as a negative. Because every time I fail, it reminds me that I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. It reminds me of just how bad I need Him. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to realize that there is an end to ourselves, that we run out of strength, that we come to the absolute end of ourselves. I, when I think about coming to the end of ourself, it takes me back to a, an illustration, something that happened many years ago. We were out four-wheeler riding and uh, with Brother Kevin and Brother Fears, and I don't, there were several of us there. I think we were down around Inverness, and uh, we all got down in a deep pit, deeper than we could get out of. And we had finally one, I think, one last four-wheeler that we couldn't get out of this pit, and we were trying to lift it up. And so when we were lifting it up, there were several grown men there and we were trying to lift this four-wheeler up and I can remember we could get it out about here and all of our arms would just start doing that and we would just drop back down and so from that illustration it wasn't a bunch of weaklings that were there but we had come to the end of ourselves, and it was a strange thing it was a very odd thing to realize that we can't do this and we had to figure out another method, another means, because we thought we could just lift this up and we'll get on about our way, but only to a certain point, and we had reached the end of ourselves. And you know what? That's a wonderful thing spiritually. When you come to that point and you realize, I can't do this by myself. That is not a sign that you're a weakling. That is not a sign that you're not made out of the right thing. That is a sign that right here is where we need God to reach down and pick up and take on. Amen. The old covenant. I want to talk about the new covenant. Amen. This is where at the end of ourself, this is where the new covenant comes in. It's a message uh, that we can now live for God because we have God's grace. Amen. Grace, grace, God's grace. Amen. What does that mean? I first think that, that the fact that we have God's grace makes us understand and realize that we can't do this alone. Paul shares with us in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And here's that verse again, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So the secret to the new covenant is found in our text this evening, and that is in Colossians 1 and 27, and that is the phrase that we're working with tonight. God 
Christ rather in you, the hope of glory. And so the secret of the new covenant is that we are not competent within ourselves and that our proficiency comes from God and God alone. In other words, nothing is coming from us and everything is coming from God. I'm going to tell you, there. if you're not careful, your flesh don't like that. Because we'd like to think that we are where we are because we are just that smart, we're just that shrewd, we're just that skilled, we're just that talented. But God is wanting us to say, Lord, what we have, we have because of you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Some people say, how do you live for God? How do you serve the Lord? How do you abstain from this? How do you abstain from that? The answer is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is not us. We're not, we're, there's, no, there, there's nothing supernatural about us or nothing superhuman about us. Amen. Into us simply has been poured the spirit of a living God. God, the Spirit of Christ within us enables us to live above sin and the reproach of sin. Praise God. That's the message of the new covenant. The new covenant was introduced in order to show us a better way. There is a better way, and that better way is Christ in you, not just guts and glory and strength and bless God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we understand that the Spirit of God lives in us. And that's a wonderful mystery. But according to many scriptures, that's going to be confirmed by the speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gives evidence. As the Spirit of the Lord gives the utterance. There's that evidence of the Spirit of God living in us. And that is where our hope comes from. Christ in you. Now, I want to take you back to the Old Testament For just a moment, we're going to go back to the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to go to chapter 31 and verse 31. And this is an old covenant prophecy about a new covenant coming. Amen. Jeremiah 31 and 31, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that, they, that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it up in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. This is a prophecy of that came for, that came into fruition in the, on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of the Lord moved in. Amen. Then verse number 34, the Bible says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Who's he talking about? Amen. Jeremiah is talking about what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said, The kingdom is within you. Praise God. Amen. He wasn't talking about some spark of divinity that was going to happen in in the flesh of people, but he was talking about the fact that there was going to be a new covenant with God. Now, Jeremiah has no idea what he's writing. How cool. I love to read, amen, these Old Testament passages of Scripture and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the major and minor prophets that are uttering all these words, and they have no clue what they're saying. 
Amen. I think it's going to be an incredible thing when we all get together. <laughs> Amen. And they understand that that day you weren't just having indigestion. That was the Spirit of God that was moving upon your heart. And you wrote that. You may have, I don't know, they may have written it with such faith that they never doubted it. But I'm just telling you that sometimes in our flesh we have the tendency to doubt things. Amen. So Jesus was talking about that there was going to be a new covenant and in that covenant whereby we are changed from the inside out. So it's not going to be written on tables of stone on the outside, but I'm going to write my law on the flesh of their heart. I'm going to write my law on their heart. And so that's what I was saying a moment ago, that if we just clean up the outside and don't do something about our heart, then that's a short-term deal. That's, that's going to run its course. It will somewhere play out. But when somebody has a change of heart, Amen. When someone has a change of heart, it changes how you think. It changes how you talk. It changes how you want to talk, how you want to live. It changes from within. It is a covenant that is born of the Holy Spirit, and it depends on the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen. And that's the new covenant. Actually, it's the principle, if I could say it this way, it's the principle of an exchange life. And that principle of an exchange life we read about in Galatians 2 and 20. When Jesus said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, you come to Christ or we come to Christ. We lay down our life, amen, but we receive his. We move out, he moves in. We live by faith in Him, dependence on Him. And it's through the, it's, this is, I think, the new covenant. And it's an understanding that we have to depend on the power of a living God dwelling in us and never doubt it. We need His power. We need His power. Now, if I had a glove tonight, I could probably make this a little bit more visual, but I trust my audience. And so if you could just envision that I had a glove on my hand and I took this glove off and I laid it on this podium. And then I asked or even commanded that glove to pick up something. It's just going to lay there. Nothing's going to happen. I could, I could teach a lesson to that glove on how to pick up things. I could make some bullet points that would be beneficial on how to pick up things. I could encourage it to pick up things. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I'm not. I could say, come on now, you can do it. Come on now, you can do it. I could even show it how. I could take the other hand and I could show it how to pick up things. But it's just going to lie dormant until I put my hand back in it. And when I put my hand in that glove, that gives the glove the power to do anything that this hand has the power to do. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Without Christ, we are that glove laying on the ground. And somebody can come along beside us and say, come on now, you can do this. Come on, you can. Yes, you can. We can teach 14,000 lessons and give all kind of bullet points on this is how you do it. This is how it's done. But it's lifeless because it's not us Amen. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. But when the glove is on, amen, when the hand is in the glove, 
when the Spirit is in the container, then we have the power to do whatever God can do. Amen. If God by His Spirit inhabits us, then we have the power. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's him and that's not us it's him it is the power within it is Christ in you and so if we learn to live by that power that we already have and so if you're a Christian and you don't have that power it's probably because you don't recognize that power is there we have to implement that power do something about it amen and so people can can have the spirit of God and therefore and even walk around and not exercise that gift but if it's there amen that's why Paul said to Timothy stir up the gift that is already in you. It's already there. Stir that up. Amen. So Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. And I won't close with this. Jesus gave us the power to accomplish the work that he calls us to do. So we should never doubt, and there's great instructions in the epistles and Paul's teaching about needing the grace of God for the calling that is upon our life. And so, um, as of this very moment, I've never needed the grace of God to be a missionary because God has never called me to be a missionary. But I have needed God's grace to do what God has called me to do. And so, we have to have the grace of God working in our lives to help us accomplish whatever it is that he calls us to do. Now, I think that we can be honest about our own situations, and I think that we can be honest about our own problems because I'm just silly enough to think that we all have them. We all have situations, and we all have problems. Now, I get it that when somebody asks, how are you doing, they don't really mean that. Let me rephrase that. When somebody asks how you're doing, they're not really being, they're not prepared to pull up a chair and sit down and hear how you really do it. I'm not saying people are insincere or, or, or anything of that nature. Because we all have problems. And so most of the time we give that great Shunammite answer all is well. How's everything? It's going pretty good. I know there are people that we have in our life, thankfully all of us should have people in our life that we can from time to time be transparent. We, we don't want to belabor those issues and run good friends away from us by always doing that. But, but we all have situations. We all have problems. And I think we can be realistic about that. And I think we can be realistic enough to say, I can't do this. But God can. There's no, nothing wrong with that. And we can begin to live from a realization that it's really it's God at work in us. And he is conforming us to his likeness to the events that happen in our life. And we, I think, should be able to find not just a measure, but I believe that we ought to be able to find great peace and solitude in God's grace. We can't just be overwhelmed every day because we can't do it. We need to rest in the fact that we can do it through him. Amen? Would you stand? Paul was perplexed by a burden that he merely referred to in Scripture as a thorn in the flesh. 
a lot of speculation. I've read all, all sorts of things about Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what it was, and I don't really think that's important that we do. But here's something that we do know, that Paul had something that troubled him, that he had sought the Lord about multiple times. And we do know, at least from what we can gather in Scripture, that he was never delivered of that. Because the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. I'll keep you. I'll keep you beyond, and I'll keep you through, and I'll keep you in spite of what's wrong in your life. Amen. So Paul found comfort in that because Paul just simply rested in this, and and I'm just paraphrasing. He, He just said, well, I will just glory rather in how you're moving through me and the revelations that you're giving me and how your spirit is flowing in my life. And so Paul did not leave that conversation biting his nails off to the first knuckle. He said, I'm going to receive what you have given me and I'm going to accept what I don't have and realize that I can do this through you, all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So we're not perfect. We never were, and we never will be. Now, that's not to say that we should not be getting better and improving. Occasionally, we stumble and we fall. Yes, we do. And that's why I find hope in passages of Scripture like Micah 7 and 8 that says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Not in my own strength, but God is going to help me. Because he said, when I sit in darkness, God will be a light to me. God will be a light to me. Amen. So, we're not standing under our own power, but God has given us the strength. It's an old but a pertinent illustration. You've heard maybe countless times. But everything that an oak tree will ever need in its lifetime. Is all in the acorn that you can hold in your hand. It's all right there. And so if God would provide for an oak, how much more will he provide for, for you and I? Amen. So our hope is in him. Through the seasons, we can boldly say, none of this has taken God by surprise. Whatever it is that I'm walking through, it didn't take God by surprise. Therefore, he has a plan. And so our challenge today is this, simply to begin to live like who we are and what we are in Him. It's an exchange life that Paul spoke about in, in, in Galatians. I mentioned a moment ago. It's living, not depending on our own strength or wisdom, but depending on Him. If I could say it this way, it's true, authentic Christianity. It's about relationship. And so Paul summarized it well in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. Paul said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, I'm going to tell you that if you know anything about the Word of God, we have the Apostle Paul at the top of our list. And Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Mrs. Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy, the mother of John, Robert, and Ted Kennedy, 
has been admired not only in her lifetime but since by millions. If you know her story, you clearly understand that Rose Kennedy gracefully bore a tremendous amount of sorrow in her life. On her 93rd birthday, she was quoted in a magazine article and she gave a very challenging message addressed to and about her grandchildren. And I quote, she said, I hope they will have the strength to bear the inevitable difficulties and disappointments and griefs of life. Bear them with dignity and without self-pity. Knowing that tragedies befall everyone and that although one may seem singled out for special sorrows, worse things have happened many times to others in the world. It's not the tears, she said, but determination that makes the pain bearable. So I ask you tonight this, that if a fleshly matriarch of a family can admonish her heirs to be determined to just stand, then how much more should we feel the same passion with Jesus Christ in us as our hope and strength of glory? We can and we will because he is our hope. Amen. Lord, I love you today. Amen. Can we just magnify his presence here? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.